Hello, I'm Tony Collins and this is the Rugby Reloaded podcast. In 2007, Melvin Bragg produced a little book called 12 Books That Changed the World. Alongside the Bible and Charles Darwin's The Origin of the Species, he also included the Football Association's 1863 Rules of Football. But, leaving aside the fact that the 1863 rules bear little resemblance to the FA's later rules that swept across the globe, the reality is that the rules of the game did little to spread the popularity of football of any code. However, throughout the English-speaking world in the second half of the 19th century, there was one book that did more to popularise all forms of football than all the rule books put together. Its name was Tom Brown's School Days. Written by Thomas Hughes and first published by Macmillan in April 1857, Tom Brown's School Days became a runaway bestseller, almost single-handedly establishing a new literary genre of the school story and creating the first schoolboy hero. In it, young Tom Brown, the son of a country squire, is sent to rugby school, where, through a series of moral lessons, including the importance of playing football and cricket, he matures into a model British Victorian gentleman. If you've read the first Harry Potter book, just substitute Quidditch for rugby football and wizardry for Christianity, and you've pretty much got the picture. Based on Hugh's own experiences at rugby school, the book was his attempt to describe public school life for young boys. Indeed, he originally wrote it for his eight-year-old son Morris, who sadly died just two years after it was published and never went to rugby school. The book sold 11,000 copies in its first year and was reprinted almost 50 times by the end of the century. The Times described it as a book that every English father might well wish to see in the hands of his son. It quickly became a yardstick by which parents could judge a school, as well as a handbook for aspirational private schools. Not only that, but Tom Brown also made football morally respectable and fashionable. The book's wider goal was to promote the muscular Christian teachings of rugby's most famous headmaster, Thomas Arnold. It conveyed its message of moral education and character building, partly through the simple technique of writing the most thrilling descriptions of a football match yet committed to print. As soon as he arrives at the school, Tom is thrust into the midst of a ferocious match. Thanks to his bravery and sense of duty, he emerges a hero when, in the last minute of the game, he dives on a loose ball to save a certain try and win the match for his schoolhouse team. The book's tone and outlook epitomised the self-confidence that the British middle classes felt during the decades that followed the 1832 Reform Act, which finally brought them the vote. The end of the threat of Chartism after 1848 guaranteed an unprecedented period of social and industrial peace, and the Great Exhibition of 1851 symbolised Britain's triumphant imperial ascendancy. This was a world in which all sections of the middle classes, in business, the church, the military and the professions, could feel that they had made the decisive contribution to the success of their nation. As Hughes wrote at the start of the book, much is yet to be written and said before the British nation will be properly sensible of how much of its greatness it owes to the Browns. Noble families would be somewhat astounded to find how small their work for England has been by the side of that of the Browns. By the time that Hughes began to write Tom Brown's school days in the 1850s, football at rugby school had become far more than just another sport. It had become a symbol of the school's unique style of education. Unlike its slightly more socially elite rivals, such as Eton and Harrow, rugby school placed its emphasis on the development of a boy's character, which would enable him to become a leader of British society, industry and empire. 
Competitive sport was a training ground for the struggle for new markets and colonies, an education in the competitive spirit of capitalism that drove the engine of imperial expansion. And how better to do that than to play rugby football? Consequently, the true hero of Tom Brown's school is, is not actually Tom Brown. It's the school's headmaster, Thomas Arnold, whose presence towers over the book. He was appointed the head in 1828 and moved the school away from the traditional public school curriculum of Latin and Greek and towards modern subjects such as mathematics, science and European languages. More importantly, Arnold believed that what we must look for is first, religious and moral principle, secondly, gentlemanly conduct, thirdly, intellectual ability. Although not a phrase used by Arnold, this was the basis of the philosophy of muscular Christianity. Tom Brown's school days depicted the overwhelming sense of moral certainty of Arnold's rugby school. Its pupils came to see themselves, in the words of the Times, as members of a semi-political, semi-sacerdotal society, with an inclination to extend their monitorial system to the world. Although he had no interest in sport, Arnold's version of muscular Christianity gave middle-class men a moral framework to justify their beliefs. Perhaps ours is the only little corner of the British Empire which is thoroughly, wisely and strongly ruled just now, suggests the teacher to Tom towards the end of the book. The book's moral framework was also unremittingly masculine. Indeed, one of its central messages was the danger of effeminacy for young men. Don't you ever talk about home or your mother or your sisters, Tom says to a new boy at one point. The book also remarks how a new boy would sometimes get called Molly, Jenny or some other derogatory feminine name. More shockingly, especially for a book seen as opposing bullying through the notorious character of Harry Flashman, the effeminate boy is portrayed as the legitimate target for bullying. At one point, Tom and his best friend East are approached by one of the miserable little pretty white-handed curly-headed boys, petted and pampered by some of the big fellows who wrote their verses for them, taught them to drink and use bad language and did all they could to spoil them for everything in this world and the next. The boy asks for their help, but without provocation, they trip and kick him. As they leave him, Tom says, Thank goodness no big fellow ever took to petting me. To which East replies, You've never been like that. In a footnote, Thomas Hughes says that Many boys will know why this passage is left in. Shockingly, the book implies that bullying is acceptable when directed against a boy believed to be effeminate or, for the times, homosexual. The huge sales of Tom Brown's school days brought football and its muscular Christian principles to a new and wider audience, and not just in Britain, but across the English-speaking world. In the British Empire's white settler colonies, Australia, Canada, New Zealand and South Africa, Tom Brown quickly acquired the status of a cultural bible. Despite living thousands of miles from what they referred to as the mother country, British colonists were proudly British and rushed to embrace the message of the book, making it a bestseller across the empire. As soon as copies arrived from London, the Sydney Morning Herald described the book as so hearty, its good sense so strong, and so thoroughly national, its morality so high, and yet so simple and practical. We ventured to prophesy for it an extended and permanent popularity. In Australia's southern state of Victoria, until 1901, Australia was a collection of individual colonies rather than a single nation, Melbourne's Argus newspaper chided readers who did not understand the value of football. Let those who fancy there is little in the game read the account of one of the rugby matches which is detailed in that most readable work, Tom Brown's School Days, and they will speedily alter their opinion. 
In South Africa in 1862, the first recorded games of football took place in Port Elizabeth and Cape Town. The Cape Town match took place between a civil service side and a military team of officers drawn largely from the 11th Regiment based there. The local press was again quick to link the game to the book. The match displayed strength and science worthy of Tom Brown's school days, wrote the Cape Argus. In the United States, Tom Brown's school days sold 225,000 copies in its first year of publication and became a model for educationalists and sportsmen alike. Americans also began to see sport as an important way of passing on moral values to boys and young men. In 1872, the New York World Daily Newspaper even reproduced the book's opening description of a game of rugby as part of its coverage of the inaugural Yale-Columbia football game. Walter Camp, the so-called father of American football, was a fan of the book, and Teddy Roosevelt, US president from 1901 to 1909, famously said that Tom Brown's School Days was one of two books that everyone should read. The other was Thomas Bailey Aldrich's 1869 Story of a Bad Boy. And the fact that no one remembers Roosevelt's second choice is itself testimony to the influence of Tom Brown. Outside of the English-speaking world, the book's biggest influence was in France. As a teenager, Pierre de Coubertin, remembered today as the founder of the modern Olympic Games, was one of the legions of readers who had been captivated by Tom Brown's school days. Through reading it, Coubertin came to idolise Thomas Arnold and made his first visit to rugby school in 1883. The book's muscular Christian principles became the founding principles of French rugby union and of course Coubertin refereed French rugby's first championship final. Perhaps more significantly, however, Tom Brown also provided the basis for Coubertin's philosophy for the modern Olympic Games, which today continues the book's self-satisfied world of moral certainty. And that is why Tom Brown's school is, and not the original FA rulebook, is the book that shaped the modern sporting world. In its pages, sport was for the first time given an importance over and above the intrinsic enjoyment of chasing a ball around a field. Henceforth, Sport was no longer merely a game. For Tom Brown's apostles, it had become a guide to life. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Rugby Reloaded podcast. As I'm sure you know, my Twitter handle is at CollinsTony and my website is www.rugbyreloaded.com where you can find a complete archive of episodes about the history of rugby and the other football codes, show notes and links for this episode and a guide to my most recent publications. So until next week, thanks for listening.